Good evening, everyone. Thank you very much for coming. We will continue our discussion of Srila Jiva Goswami's Krishna Sandarbha. Uh, we're on the second Anucheda. In the beginning of this Krishna Sandarbha, we find that Jiva Goswami is systematically going through and presenting uh, from the third chapter of the first canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam. So his Anuchedas seem to correspond with the verses as they're presented uh, in the third chapter of the first canto. And by following this uh, progression of understanding of the different manifestations of the Supreme Lord, then uh, we can naturally, we will naturally come to the verse in the third chapter, which is basically the the centerpiece of the entire Krishna Sandarbha. Krishna stu Bhagavan Swayam. This idea that of all the different manifestations of the Lord, Krishna is the topmost. So here at the very beginning, uh, he's first dealt with the the idea of Brahman. And for the idea of Brahman, it, Brahman wasn't presented as the very first verse in the third chapter of the first canto. It's, it was presented later. Uh, but the general idea was you can have a conception of Brahman if you can just see through your own false identification with with your material circumstance. So if you can, if you can see through the, to the fact that you aren't the material body, and if you can see through that you're not the false identification that you place upon your body, and even more so upon your subtle body, your mind, intelligence, and false ego, if you can see through that, you're going to have an idea of what is your innate spirituality, which is a recognition of Brahman. So that was the first Anucheda. And now we're continuing uh, uh, with the second Anucheda this evening. And the the title here is... uh, Pajumna manifest Brahma. So, Jiva begins this second Anucheda to verify that this form of the Purusha, Mahavishnu, is also the source of the secondary creation, Visarga. Sri Sutta speaks the following one and a half verses. And then he places in his Anucheda the second and third verses from that third chapter of the first canto. Translated as follows. While he, the Purusha's second manifestation, was displaying his yogic sleep of supraconscious absorption, yoga nidra, reposing on the Garbudak Ocean, Brahma, 
the master of the progenitors of the world, appeared from a lotus growing from the lake of his navel. It is on the configuration of his, the Purusha's limbs, that the world is conceived to extend. So he goes, there's some quoting of other verses here, but I'm just going to hit on the high points that Jiva brings out. And one of the main points he wants to get across to us through this second Anocheta is, first of all, the conception of the Virat Purusha while advantageous for understanding that the Lord is truly the substance from which the universal manifestation comes. There's no other source than the Lord. There's no outside energy that manifests the material universe. Still, that seeing of the Lord in relationship to the Virat Purusha idea, that idea of seeing the Lord manifesting the, the different, attributing the different aspects of our phenomenal existence to the limbs of the body of the, uh, a universal manifestation of the Lord. It's advanced, it's, it's a good place to start if that's the only thing that you can conceive of, is the Lord in relationship to what you are accustomed to. So if that is the extent of, of what you can conceptualize, then the Virat Purusha, as put forth in the Bhagavatam's third canto extensively, is advantageous to the beginning of your understanding. But we should not understand that that Virat Purusha, that conception which is put forth in Scripture, is anything more than a meditational tool. It's a good place to begin. We can see that the, the trees, we can conceive there they're the hairs of the body of the Lord and the and the lower planetary systems are the soles of his feet and the upper planetary systems are, you know, the celestial planetary systems are uh, his uh, amazing consciousness of control of everything. And uh, in the world, when we see strength and, and determination, we can conceive of the, the, the arms of the Lord. So it's a good meditation. But don't think ontologically that the Lord has any contact directly with the external potency. It's his potency, but it is him and it isn't him. Achinta beta beta tattva. It, it is his energy from which the universe is manifest, but it's not the Lord's Swarup. It's not his. It's not of the nature of his being, although it's coming forth from him. So that's one of the things that Jiva Goswami wants to wants us to see in this second Anucheta. 
So it's, he says here, the configuration of his limbs as it is described in the Bhagavat Patala constitutes the soles of his feet. Such descriptions are put forth for the benefit of beginners on the path of worship to steady the mind. In other words, it is not that this is a factual form of the Purusha. And then he goes on to an explanation of seeing the distinction between the Karnadakshai Vishnu, the form of the Lord from which all the universes are manifest, and the Garbhodakshai Vishnu. Because the way these Purusha avatars, Karnadakshai Vishnu and Garbhodakshai Vishnu in particular, are presented in the scriptures, one could be a little bit confused because which one is which one is being spoken of here you know his arms and his hands are everywhere he has unlimited arms unlimited hands unlimited, you know and they're both sp spoken of with these same kinds of accolades they're both looked upon with these same kind of features so what jiva goswami does is he draws from the mahabharata uh, the Santi Parva, and he tries to bring us to an understanding of they are, of course, one manifestation, the Purusha manifestation of Bhagavan, but their functions are different. Their one function is the Samasti, the, the, the mass, the, the greatest uh, accumulation of jivas, and then the and and materiality in its potentiality. So the Mahat, or Pradhan, or Prakriti. All these different nomenclatures are there, but we, when we're reading scripture, need to be able to, to understand the basic ideas which Sutta Goswami is presenting in the very beginning of this third chapter, and if we understand the ideas and how the universe evolves, if we understand that, then when the different nomenclatures are used in different portions of specifically the Bhakti Shastras, which we study, then we're not going to be confused about who's being referred to. And even if the specifics are not given and we can't figure out, well, is he talking about Garbhodakshai Vishnu uh, or is he talking about Karnadakshai Vishnu? Well, if it has anything to do with the secondary creation, we know that's Garbhodakshai Vishnu. If Brahma is involved at all, Garbhodakshai Vishnu. If the manifestations of the Lord are coming from that Purusha, that's Garbhodakshai Vishnu, within a universe. So, there's ways that we can distinguish in Scripture, and that the basis upon which those distinctions can be made, Jiva is giving us that 
fundamental information by expanding upon, to some extent, Sutta Goswami's explanation in response to one of the questions by the sages. The sages posed six questions, and one of them is, could you explain the avatars to us, the different manifestations of God, what they are, give us an, an overview? Uh, we know they're unlimited, but still, there has to be some information you can give us. So, in the beginning here, well, first let me explain the manifestations of the Lord, which have some, which have the most uh, proximity to your current existence. They manifested the material playground in which you play. They, they manifested the ingredients from which you have accumulated a body. They come into the world and they regulate every part of the material manifestation which you are, the phenomenal experiences that you are having are coming about by this, these Purusha manifestations of Bhagavan. And then within the universe, the Lord has other, what we call, avataric descents, wherein he comes to keep things running nicely. Like if the earth falls into the ocean and there's no, no deity, no deva, no demigod who has the power to rectify the situation, then, we have a, then God descends himself. He comes as, as Varaha and he picks the earth up. And at the beginning of, of a universe, he manifests as various, he manifests materially as various shaktis, like knowledge. So he manifests as the personalities that embody that aspect to a small degree of what he is, like the Kumars or Bhakti and Narada. So, as this progression goes forward in Jiva Goswami's presentation of the, at the beginning of Krishna Sandarbha, and as the progression went forward from Sutta Goswami in the third chapter of the Bhagavatam, all this is, is unfolded. But in the beginning, let's start with who are these Purusha avatars? What are their functions? How we can tell one from the other? And how do they regulate the universe? Now, it's important to understand to some extent that the Lord has different manifestations associated with every one of his uh, not everyone, okay? Let me backtrack on that. Uh, on the majority of his, of his primary manifestations, there are different um, aspects of those. So, those aspects, when they're fully displayed, are, are four in number, Chatur Vyuha. So Vasudev, 
Prajumna, I mean Vasudev Sankarsan, Prajumna and Aniruddha. Now in relationship to the Purusha avatars, what Jiva brings out here is we see the manifestation of Sankarsan, Prajumna and Aniruddha. And we can associate those three aspects with Karnadakshai Vishnu, Sankarsan, Karbodakshai Vishnu, Prajumna, and Kashira Dakshai Vishnu, um, Aniruddha. So that's why this particular Anacheda has been given the short name Pradyumna Manifest Brahma, meaning Garbhadakshai Vishnu Manifest Brahma. And th there can be some real confusion, you know, about, about these aspects because, you know, you, you, think, you think of... Uh, Sankarsan, Prajumna, Aniruddha, and the mind, the intelligence, the false ego. So they have different functions in relationship to, to even the individual uh, manifestations of the Lord. Like when Krishna, in Krishna's manifestation, his original form, they come as Balaram as his son, come as Balaram, his brother, as his son, Prajumna, and as his grandson, Aniruddha. And as in, in Ram's advent, it's his brothers, Lakshman, Bart, and Shatragna. Now, one thing that Jiva Goswami mentions is in his Anacheda to try to give a, to try to give us some perspective here is Sutta. Speaking of Sutta Goswami in the beginning of this third chapter, however, intending to speak of the essential non-difference of Prajumna and Aniruddha, did not mention Prajumna separately, as it is also the case in the verse, the verse that he that he spoke at the beginning of the third canto. Uh, this manner of description is evident in the sixth chapter of the second canto, as in Sridhar Swami's commentary on verse 2639. The clause, he is the original Purusha, means he is the original Bhagavan, who, appearing as the Purushan, enacts the functions of creation and so on. Basic point that Jiva's making here that we should take away is what we open with, the fact that sometimes the distinctiveness between these various Purusha avatars is not made. So sometimes it will say Aniruddha referring to Garbhadakshai Vishnu in the scriptures. We'll actually find statements like that, that Brahma was born from Aniruddha. Well, really, Brahma's coming from Prajumna, but when we look at the, those manifestations of both the, what we would call Mahavishnu, which is Kardadakshai Vishnu, the great 
the, from all the universes come from him, and then the individual universes come from Garbha, Dakshai, Vishnu. They're manifested in that way with all the planets. Um, don't be confused by it is the basic point. Understand the underlying ontology of the development of the universe and the proper and the and the underlying what want to say here the under the uh, the underlying relationships of Sankarchan, Pradyumna and Aniruddha to the three Purusha avatars. So two main points of this second Anucheta to delineate the three manifestations of the Purusha or Paramatma as distinct from Bhagavan. They are coming from Bhagavan, but they're they're those manifestations of the Lord in relationship to the material energy. And two, that the Virat Purusha is not a real form of the Purusha, but an imaginary portrayal of the universal structure as a form of God to provide an object of meditation for neophyte spiritualists. So in the commentary, a couple things. Sometimes these descriptions seem to contradict each other. The reason for this is that they may not all provide the same measure or precision of detail. When you're speaking, you you know, when anybody's speaking about any subject, you could either speak in a general way or a very specific manner. Scripture t talks to us in that way. And just like the Bhagavatam, the Bhagavatam sometimes speaks to us as a king, as a ruler. It's giving a dictate, do this, don't do that. Sometimes speaks to us as a friend, encouraging us in our spiritual pursuit and sometimes the Bhagavad Purana speaks to us as a lover speaking of the, the character the characteristics of Krishna's intimate relationship with his devotees and you can have that kind of a relationship you can you can relate with Krishna as a lover so just as we see that in the Bhagavad Purana actually the scriptures do speak in different voices so don't be confused gradually assimilate the underlying ontological truths of the nature of the supreme lord and and that will serve and nourish you spiritually and help you so it's not like we mix the we in the beginning, we have a general viewpoint. It's just like if you look at if you look at the at the woods from far away, you have a general viewpoint or mountain. But as you get closer, you get you know the detail comes. So similarly, in our spiritual life, as we become closer and closer to the goal that we seek under good guidance, the specific knowledge helps us in the beginning too much specific knowledge and we're like whoa i can't listen to that guy's classes it's like way above me well that's okay because when we all come in the beginning it's, it's way beyond me you know uh, my experience of uh, 
Srila Prabhupada was like that. It's like I didn't understand a word he was saying, but I did hear Krishna once or twice in the classes, and you know all these other things were like. But quickly, you notice devotees quickly. I mean, within three, six months, a year, it's like you picked up a little of the vernacular. You kind of got an idea. There's a God. There's a God that comes out of a pillar. There's, you know, there's all kinds of different things. You can run with Krishna and frolic with him as a as a friend, or you can be his lover. And you know, he has parents, and you know, he also comes as Ram, and he also, you know, comes as as these. Well, wow, amazing fish as a boar, you know, as a turtle, as a, as a beautiful woman. And, you know, so the detailed knowledge comes. And then if we're not careful and we don't pursue the path with the same enthusiasm that we may have had in the beginning, seeking out ever fresh understandings, if we become complacent, then that complacency can lead to confusion. What actually is Krishna and what's the proper understanding? And, oh, they said over there that we fell down from the spiritual world. How did we do that? And what's that mean? You know, or... Or you actually have a relationship already inherent in you. And uh, wait, well, that's not what this person's. So we need to sort these things out. We don't need to become neurotic or fanatic, but we need to maintain an open mind and an a ever inquisitive nature as to, as to what is Krishna? What, how's he manifest? So... The Sandarbhas, I find, really, really serve that purpose to help us keep our enthusiasm about the knowledge of the Bhagavatam ever fresh. We, all, we, we, we constantly approach the Bhagavatam with an ever fresh viewpoint the more we associate with it and the more we hear from people that have the deeper understandings. And then, then, as we pointed out specifically with this Krishna Sandarbha and its relationship to an understanding of Krishna for the Gaudiya Vaishnavas, which fosters Raganuga Bhakti, which is the goal of this particular sect. We're in a cult of Sri Shaitanya Mahaprabhu, and this cult is specifically tuned into Vraj Bhakti. We want to be there. We want to experience this highest conception. Well, in order to experience this highest conception of the Supreme Absolute Truth, we have to be able to differentiate between Krishna and all of his different manifestations. We pretty much got it down from from this great emissary of the spiritual world who came to the Western world and started this movement. Krishna is the supreme personality of Godhead. All right. But we can't, that cannot be 
overemphasized. So this whole endeavor we're in undertaking in Krishna Sandarbha of Jiva Goswami is to to have that fully not we can never fully comprehend it Krishna's Swayam Bhagavan but we can we can comprehend it to a to a very deep extent to where we're not going to be confused and that is going to nourish a relationship with the Supreme Lord which is that relationship as made available by Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Golokar Prema Da, that Prem, that Prem Bhakti of Sri Chaitanya. So that's what the objective of all this is. Also in the commentary, it's brought out, and this is important to remember that when we look to the primary creation, remember that Jiva Goswami at the end of the Tattva Sandarbha, he brought um, out the significance of the ten subjects of the Bhagavat Purana. Of any major Purana, of which the Bhagavat Purana is one of the major Puranas, these ten subjects are dealt with. And the first two of them are Sarga and Visarga. Atra Sarga Visargascha. So these two subjects, two of the ten subjects, he's, he establishes in the Tattva Sandarbha what? That the main source of knowledge is Srimad Bhagavatam. And it's a major Purana. Now, how does the Bhagavatam meet the criteria of a major Purana. There's major and there's minor Puranas. Well, it does because these ten subjects are dealt with. So, when we speak of Sarga, the, the, the first manifestation of the material energy, that manifestation is coming from Karna Dakshai Vishnu. Atra Sarga, the material manifestation. It's called creation. And the second is a sub-creation. Atra Sarga Visargas Cha. Visarga, the secondary creation, is coming about through Garbo Dakshai Vishnu and specifically through his empowerment. Well, he kind of would laid back, as, as Jiva Goswami points out here, from by quoting Sutta Goswami, this is just, Krishna was laying back having a nice little yoga nidra, and, well, he doesn't dream like we dream. <laughs> he dreams of his various shaktis. And so he was in his dreamlike state, and it was a long dream, 10,000, 1,000 years, celestial years, I believe. And, a lotus grows from his from his navel. That lotus, the stem of that lotus, contains the potentiality of everything to be manifest in the universe. And it, it glows more brilliant than millions of suns, it's explained. And 
it glows like that because it it's constituted of all the jivas and all the potentiality. And on top of the stem of that, you have a lotus flower. And in that lotus flower, Lord Brahma takes birth. That, and then Brahma, he manifests the universe after mature contemplation. He enters into his samadhi and he's enlightened as to how to conduct the universe. And as you questioned, is it always the same? There's bigger and there's smaller universes, but there's a basic template there. So he manifests. That manifestation coming from the Brahma that sits on Garbhadakshai Vishnu is the secondary or the sub-creation. So the primary creation is coming from Karnadakshai Vishnu and the sub-creation is coming through the agency of Garbhodakshai Vishnu and, and the empowerment of Lord Brahma. So those are sometimes referred to in modern language as the uh, metacosmic manifestation and the macrocosmic. And then they also go so far as to, to also do, use the nomenclature of microcosmic, meaning we have our own, we live in our own universe that we've created by our by our desires and our past activities, which is over, overseen by Karna, I mean, uh, sure. Kashiro Dakshai Vishnu. Macrocosmic is Karna Dakshai Vishnu? Yes, macrocosmic. So metacosmic. Karna Dakshai Vishnu, the outer. Yes. Overall. Right. Macrocosmic, a single universe, and microcosmic, a smaller single universe my universe and we all make our own universes moving forward to the third anucheta the purusha form is a of pure sattva jiva goswami says here thereafter shri sutta again he's going back to his bhagavatam third chapter describes the essential nature, Swarup, of these two forms, considering them as one in a general sense. This is verily the form of Bhagavan, consisting of extremely potent, or jita, unalloyed being, Visuddha Sattva. Srimad Bhagavatam 1.3.3 so now he's gone to the third verse of that third chapter, first canto. And then he quotes a verse from the third canto's ninth chapter. The pronoun tat refers to the Purusha form of Sri Bhagavan. The emphatic particle vi implies that it is well known as such because it manifests ex from extremely potent unalloyed being Visuddha or Jita Sattva and because Bhagavan's potency Shakti 
is non-different from his essential being, Swarup. The form of the Purusha is indeed Visuddha Sattva. It is also said regarding the second Purusha that his form is identical to his Swarup. Then the quote from the third canto. O Supreme Lord, I do not regard your essential being, which is purely blissful, free from duality, and of the nature of unobstructed effulgence to be different from this form of yours. So this is Brahma speaking from the lotus, and he's speaking of experiencing the Lord's form. He's now, he couldn't find the Lord. He searched all around went down the lotus, couldn't figure out where in the, where in the, how did I get here? What's, what's the, what, where did I, how did I get, yeah. It's not like, you have to understand Brahma being, being of the nature of the most qualified jiva within the universe. It's not like when he took birth, he took birth without full facility of an awareness far exceeding that of like our birth we're born basically we have no nothing to relate to he he already has intelligence he had enough intelligence to say how did i get here from from his inception on the lotus so he did some inquiry and he heard got some instruction tapa think about it basically what the Tapa was telling him. You need to think about this. <laughs> uh, and he thought about it. And it finally came to him through revelation. So here he's speaking to the Supreme Lord now that he's had the revelation and experience of the Lord's form. He's saying, I'm experiencing this form of yours. Uh, it's your essential being. It's what you are. It's nothing foreign to your swarup. It's of your very nature. So Jiva's drawing from this explanation by Lord Brahma and explaining to us that these Purusha avatars are Sudasattva. They are themselves manifestations of, direct manifestations of Bhagavan. They are and they aren't. They have they're specifically manifestations of the Supreme Lord, but manifestations of the Lord in relationship to his material creation. But this particular Anacheta is more emphasizing the way they are alike than the way that there is some subtle differences. Jiva goes on. In verse one three three First canto, third chapter, third verse. The word visudam, unalloyed, means devoid of even a portion of inner matter. So even though the Purushas, Jiva's saying, have contact with matter, they produced matter, the matter came from them, didn't come from any other source, it's still there unaffected in any way. Both well, both Purushas that are primarily being spoken of here, Karnadakshai and Garbadakshai. 
means devoid of even a portion of inert matter, it being a manifestation of a swarup shakti. Ujita, or jita, I'm sorry, or jita, extremely potent means that the most powerful of all because it is the embodiment of supreme bliss. It's an interesting point that Jiva is bringing out here. He's giving this uh, orjita from the verse of the third canto. If this Paramatma were not present in the space of the heart, akasa, as the personification of bliss, who indeed would breathe, who would live? That's from Ashruti Upanishad. Consequently, if the body of the Purusha consists of unalloyed being, how much more must this be so in regards to Swayam Bhagavan himself? The point being made here, an interesting point that's being made here, is that the potency, the primary potency in the verse referred to as Urjita is not the Lord's power, his strength. It's his blissfulness. This is what illuminates everything. And it's the it's the Shakti of the Lord that predominates when we talk of creation. That's what Jiva's bringing out here. And why is that? If you look at if you look at the underlying philosophy that we're going to learn in the Bhagavatam, what do we learn about the living entities within a universe. What do they really have in common, no matter what level of consciousness they have? Anamoya. They're seeking pleasure. Every living entity is seeking pleasure. And they will continue to seek pleasure until they are completely satisfied once they've reached the pen uh, not pen ultimate the ultimate state of pleasure of satisfaction then they will need to look no further that is only found in the supreme lord in his various manifestations once you've found that, and it's interesting, of course, the commentator here, Sachin Das, knowing a little bit of the history uh, that he went through in regards to his study of Jiva Goswami's uh, books during his uh, connection with Ishkan, <laughs> he brings out in the commentary that bec- when you come to the stage of reaching your fulfillment of pleasure in relationship to the Supreme Lord, you're never going to give that up because it's constantly completely nourishing that desire on your part. Therefore, there's no fall from Vaikuntha. 
So it's another reason that there's no fall. Bhagavan's power is not due primarily to his physical or mental prowess, but because he is intrinsically Ananda. This theme will be elaborated in Preeti Sandarbha, and it seems that Shijiva Goswami has planted a seed here for that future discussion. Indeed, it is observed that Ananda is the most powerful driving force throughout the creation, and Bhagavan is the very source of all Ananda. Everybody is searching for Ananda, and this search will continue until one comes to its source. It is for this reason that Krishna declares that no one returns to worldly existence once having reached his abode. Bhagavad Gita 15.6 At that point, the search comes to an end. This proves that Bhagavan is not a phenomenal being and that his body is not material. His body is thus different from the Virat Purusha. So, this third Anucheta basically clarifying our understanding of the Purusha avatars that are being spoken of at the beginning of this third chapter of the first canto. That they are pure Sudhasattva. And the primary Shakti that they utilize in in manifesting the material cosmos both on a metacosmic and a macrocosmic basis is Ananda. This is the Shakti. So we'll continue in our next discussion with the fourth Adocheta. Any questions? What we covered tonight? Yes? I wanted to be the devil's advocate, even though I'm trying What if um, they were to say, uh, once you come in a full circle, you to, like let's say you went back to Vaikuntha, that you would never fall again, but that if you had never fallen yet, that, that, that it could be an initial, uh, you would exit and then come back, and then you wouldn't exit, just for the sake of argument. Like, I don't follow your logic. I'm saying that even though you go there and you'll never fall again because mm-hmm. it started out there. Let's say you, st- let's just say hypothetically you started out there and and and, 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 this, and took a journey out and came all the way back again that you would never fall again instead of having. What is to draw you away from that right, right. abode? There we go. Okay. okay, that's the first True. thing. I mean, there's nothing. There's nothing to draw you to materialism, because right, you're completely satisfied. You're always in Ananda. You're always completely sat. If you're living in Hawaii in a mansion, and you know, I mean, do you really want to go to to the to the inner city of Chicago? What would draw you there? Is there anything whatsoever that could draw you there? And that's just a material. Comparison of some sorts. Yeah, like you'd want to go into a body. Yeah, that, that's like you'd want to go into a body and take food stamps or what? I mean, <laughs> you'd want to live in the middle of a city on the 
Uh, you know, on a, as a. Well, they sound good. I think I want to try that out. <laughs> the only thing with me that helps people. <laughs> well, that's different. That's called an avataric descent. Yeah, well, that makes that's different. And the other reason, Krishna, Krishna's so much in love with you, that he's never going to let you leave. He's now got you. He now owns you. And you own him. So those two things, you own him and he owns you, those two things combined, there's no... It's it's more about the relationship, the emotional relationship. It has nothing to do with all the other perks of the Vaikuntha atmosphere. You know, living on the same planet, having his association, having a form similar to the Lord, all those things, those are secondary to the loving relationship. And Krishna would never, he'd never let you go. I had one more question about mm-hmm. the, um, the avatar. It sounded like you had said at one point that the, 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 the avatars that come into this world are coming from uh, Garbhadakshay Vishnu. Yes. Is that right? Okay. Yes. Um, that will be elaborated not, as we go forward. I mean, for that, how does that work in terms of Krishna coming? Because he's Krishna. It appears he he gives the appearance of coming like all the other avatars, but he's that's the point. That's the whole point that we're coming up to is Sutta Goswami has gone through all this elaborate discussion at the beginning of the Srimad Bhagavatam in response to the six questions of the sages. He's gone through all answering those questions comprehensively, but when he comes to this, the way he speaks of Krishna. And then after he gives all the all the details on all the manifestations of the Supreme Lord, both in the creation of the universe and in his entering into the universe to support it and to keep things going nicely. Yada, yada, he, when Dharma's gone, he comes again and again. He comes... Yes, and then he finally, after all of that, he says, but Krishna, he's in the class of his own. And that's why, therefore, we refer to him as Swayam Bhagavan. So this is all building up to that understanding. Anything else? I thank you so much for your association.